2: Live from the Nasdaq market site overlooking New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lee. Our traders on the desk are Dan Nathan, Brian Kelly, Karen Feinerman and Guy Dami. Tonight on Fast, a new record for Alibaba on its Singles Day. But will the U.S. consumer follow suit as we head into the holiday season? Plus, traders are betting this chip stock is going to rip on earnings tomorrow. How the options market says you should play it. And Google may know a lot more about you than you think. The tech giant reportedly gaining access to health records of millions of people. We break down the implications for your privacy and the stock. But we begin with the story of the day, and that would be Boeing. Shares taking off after the company announced it expects to resume deliveries of the 737 MAX as early as next month, and that airlines could be able to restart commercial flights in January. Let's get to Phil LeBeau with all the details on this. Phil. Uh,
3: That was a heck of a move by uh, Boeing Shares today, Melissa, and it all comes down to whether or not you buy into the latest timeline that Boeing is putting out. And here's what it stands at right now, the company says that it expects to have a certification flight probably by early next month. Could happen late this month, but you have that certification flight that leads to the FAA certifying the plane by mid December. Then that frees them to begin deliveries. So that's the first part. They could start delivering planes perhaps by the end of the year to some customers. Theoretically, at the same time, pilot training rules will be set and they'll be locked in by perhaps mid-January. So if you are an airline and you've got the pilots trained and you've got the fixed aircraft, commercial flights theoretically could begin by the end of January. Don't forget that Boeing reports its October orders and delivery numbers tomorrow. The big focus will be on the 737 MAX backlog. Did we see any uh, cancellations or conversions from MAX planes into other aircraft. And when you're looking at the uh, airlines right now, remember that American, we talked about this on Friday, it's pulled the MAX from its schedule back to March 5th. That's when it comes back. And Southwest is not going to start flying, Melissa, until March 7th. So even though Boeing says theoretically airlines may be able to resume commercial service by the end of January, Let's be realistic here. If the FAA is the first one to certify, you're looking at the three U.S. carriers, and, yeah, other regulators will quickly follow on, but are the airlines going to be ready with the pilot training? And at least when it comes to Southwest and American, they're saying, look, you've got a long ways to go before you put these planes back into true commercial service.
2: There's also the issue, Phil, I believe, of, of airlines wanting to do their own sort of PR flights, which could actually oh, yeah. delay the process as well. And then you have to wonder if the airlines are already pushing back um returning the 737 Max to say the March timeframe, which is what many airlines are at right now. Right. Is there a disconnect? Uh is there a credibility issue on the part of Boeing when it comes to Boeing's guidance for these airlines? The airlines are saying, you know what, we're gonna just take a couple more months here.
3: I, I think the airlines, Melissa, and you and I have talked about this, they realize that it's one thing for a plane to be technically cleared to fly, it's another thing to sell flights. For the 737 MAX, it's going to be a challenge for every carrier around the world. And yes, I know everyone will say, well, look, eventually you mark the price down enough, you're going to get enough people to go on these planes. You have some safety or or no safety issues, I should say. People will eventually forget about this. That still doesn't ease the minds of, of the airline executives who are planning for returning these planes into service. I mean, they don't want to be putting these planes into service and they're half full. And then the other question becomes, do you knock the price down so much that people are like, geez, how much confidence do you have in this plane if you're offering a $39 fare to fly across the country? So it's the balancing act that the airlines are running into right now, and that's different than what Boeing is saying, which is, look, we are responsible for getting it certified and delivered. How long it takes for you to get it back into service is not something that's within our control.
2: All right. Bill, thank you. Bill LeBeau in Chicago for us. So take a look at that chart of of Boeing shares, right? Not too bad, Guy. No, great day. It's probably the best day it's
4: had since early summer. So it was a great day for Boeing. But listen, we've seen moves like this before. You go back to August when this stock was trading around 325, seemingly in a death spiral down to 300. Then you had the huge run back up to 375, 380. And I think that's we're in the midst of now. 325 held. We talked about getting back to levels that it troughed at back in March when this all started. And that's where we are right now. The stock traded three times normal volume. Listen, if you believe that the bad news is done, then this stock is a screaming buy. I don't. You also, by the way, have to believe that the stock market's going to trade sideways or unabated higher still. So right now, I think you're saying that if you're buying Boeing at these levels, given today, you're saying that Bad news is already priced in. I don't believe it. And the stock market will continue to go higher unabated. I don't believe that either.
2: I mean, what's happened in the past month? I mean, a lot has happened in the past month for Boeing at a time when the stock has gone higher. Muhlenberg survived the hill. Um, Calhoun stepped in as chairman of Boeing, the separated chairman and CEO. Muhlenberg said that he's going to take basically no compensation. Uh, and the timeline got a little bit more firmed up. And in the process the stock has gone higher
5: right and so we've been in this range 320 to 380 let's call it we're bouncing towards that the top of it so i would say for now a lot of this kind of good news is priced in i think you have a couple issues to me there's some risks in the near term if they miss that December date, then their credibility is shot again, and then the stock will fall. The second part, as uh, we've all talked about, is how do you get passengers on this plane? That's a little further down the line. But I think you have a real credibility issue in the short term. If they won, either if they don't get the certification, then there's a huge problem. But even if they push that back, I think Muhlenberg has a real problem with his credibility, and that will hurt the stock price, particularly that it's close to the top of the range. You're going to have sellers come in. I
6: think that's a really good point. I, I think this- CEO has one mis-execution and he's gone. I mean that's really what what happens here and then you have this thing is like they're going to promote somebody who is also a 30-year veteran of this company. I think over the last year we've had a really interesting debate on this desk about this stock in particular. A lot of people have felt like there's a lot of other stocks out there without all this hair on it. And then there's the one I think Tim usually is like, "Listen, when they get back, you know, earnings are expected to be down 93% this year and they're supposed to go up dramatically next year to get back to peak earnings. Sales are expected to be down 20% this year, but up 50% next year. So if you think that they can get through all that, they can get through all the PR stuff, and then it's back to Guy's point, then it's a screaming buy, trading at 17 times, with a backlog of hundreds and hundreds of planes getting back to making 52 of them a month.
2: But there's a lot of assumptions there, too, in terms right. of credibility. Yeah and whether or not airlines believe Boeing anymore. Right.
7: Well, there's not just whether or not they believe them, it's how much can they extract from them from the delays that the 737 In Max is causing. Right. Mm-hmm. Discounts or lost revenue or I don't know what. It all sort of probably gets negotiated together. The thing, though, I, I mean, I think the stock has stopped going down on bad news. It's up a lot recently, but the market's up a lot recently and the China situation has abated somewhat recently. Those are obviously two issues that... Boeing was, you know, correlated very highly to. So I actually think the risk of war, I don't own it. I, I, I just, uh, it's just too rich for me. I don't own it. One thing, though, I think they really do need to consider is whether or not they need to change the name from 737 MAX and right. have a total and rebranding. Calhoun said not that we're not considering that at this time. Yeah. They should. Well, they, oh, okay. the, I, they, I should. Maybe they
5: should. They should. They should. They should. I mean, how, I, mean I know what I'm going to do when I book a flight. What kind of plane is on there? And I'm going to say I'm not getting on one of these things for a year at least.
2: If they change the name, you're going to know that they changed the name to that. Age. I know, but, true. True. but I'm, I'm smarter the than the
5: average bear. Yeah, come on.
2: Um, you flagged this article. Uh, it was an interview okay. in the New York Times uh, with Doug Parker, the CEO of American Airlines. And this brings up a good point. He basically was saying that he doesn't, he, the FAA has laid out all these conditions And it's the manufacturer either setting too aggressive a view as to when they'll have the conditions met or not being able to deliver on what they said they're going to deliver. And American Airlines uniquely, I spoke to an analyst this afternoon on Power Lunch, uniquely is in a position where, where it is equipped to actually flip to Airbus if, it's, if it wants to, because it does have Airbus in its fleet. And so it, it is capable, maintenance-wise and all that, to switch to the Airbus, as opposed to continuing uh, taking Boeings.
7: Oh, I didn't know, when I read that article, it was, it was interesting to me, it was a little more contentious than I would yeah. have thought mm-hmm. when they're trying to negotiate, obviously, a big deal and big payments. And, um, you know, I was certainly wondering, is this December date, was that something to do with recognition of revenue? And I think you were saying yeah. on an earlier uh, on Power Lunch Day, mm-hmm. they don't believe that. Well, I guess that wasn't the reason for it. Right. Right. Yeah. I don't know if that is. But it's all part of a, a global negotiation for what are they going to do for these airlines that have either bet their future like a Southwest or bet part of their future like an America? What are they going to do for them? Once there's some clarity on that, I think the market will digest whatever that penalty is. But all that having been said, I'm not long.
4: Airlines didn't trade particularly well today in light of that. I think that's probably your point to a certain extent. I mean, American Airlines, if you look over the last year and a half, two years, probably been cut in half. Yes, we've had a bounce off a recent low, but the stock hasn't traded particularly well. I think now you're looking for names that might have been adversely affected when this happened. And a name like SPR, for example, Spirit Aerospace, which makes 70% of Boeing's planes. Out of Kansas. I mean, that stock's had a huge run, but you know what? Valuation wise, it's compelling, and maybe now, at least for them, with this headline risk out of the way, maybe that's a stock to get back to that 100 level that we saw basically in March of, la- of earlier this year.
6: So, Mel, you know some of the old-timey guys in the stock market, like Guy, they're into that, tra- that the Dow transport, the, mm-hmm. the theory, you know, yeah. that sort of thing. Interesting to note, I mean, listen, Boeing is still up 13%, 14% on the year. It's not been a massive drag, if you think on many, any major industry. It's obviously a big component, you know, within the IYT, and that still has not confirmed any of the new highs in the S&P 500, which I think is pretty interesting in a way. I think the IYT made a high at, uh, at like 209 or something like that, so it's below 200. It's kind of threatening a little bit of a breakout. But to me, that's
5: one that would be really interesting to see that get going. And it hasn't gotten going yet. Well, the IYT is also, I mean, there's a couple different components in there. Remember, we had rails that actually did fairly well. So but if we're just sticking with the airline space or aerospace in general, the one element that everybody likes about Boeing is the defense sector. So for me, I'd much rather go to a Lockheed Martin to be able to play that theme rather than a Boeing with all the hair on it.
2: All right, coming up, the holiday shopping season just around the corner, but should the retail sector expect a lump of coal in its stocking this year? And later, one top strategist says you may have missed your chance to get in on this record rally. Blackstone's chief investment officer, Joe Idol, says a pullback is coming. We're live from Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this.
0: Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place?
2: Welcome back to Fast Money, the world's biggest shopping holiday, Smash holiday, smashing records again this year. Let's get to Rahel Solomon back at headquarters with the big numbers behind Alibaba's Singles Day. Rahel.
8: Hi, Melissa. So sales topped $38 billion. In fact, in the first minute and eight seconds, sales topped $1 billion. So last year, sales were closer to $30 billion. So it was an increase of about 28%, which is slower than years past, but this is also the 11th year for the event, so perhaps some slowing in growth is to be expected. But just to give you guys a sense of how large this event has grown and just how quickly the first singles day back in 2009, sales were closer to 7.8 million. So the event has clearly become larger than Black Friday and Cyber Monday combined. And it's not just important for Chinese companies because U.S. brands tend to do well on this day too. After Chinese companies, they receive the most sales with Apple, Nike, Estee Lauder, Gap, all doing well in this 24-hour period. And this here was especially important, as in, investors looked for signs of a weakening Chinese consumer. There was also some concern about any perhaps growing Chinese nationalism toward American companies. And analysts today were mixed about any larger implications with these massive figures. Some saying that the Chinese consumer is still strong. They're clearly still shopping. Others say... This is more about the strength of Alibaba and how they've been able to harness the power of technology to get people to shop. Either way, they are indeed shopping. Alibaba's competitor, JD.com, also did really well today. And between the two sites, JD.com and Alibaba, analysts say that they generated about $60 billion in sales. Melissa.
2: All right, Rahel, thank you. Rahel Solomon with some staggering figures on Singles Day. Dan, how do you trade BABA?
6: So it's interesting. This stock, we had uh, Bono and on last week. He was talking about this really interesting technical level. It just got above this 185. It had been in a tight range or so. And he was just talking about, there it is right there, you know, how cheap the options were priced into this sort of event. I think what a lot of investors are starting to think is that this is becoming a very complex day for a logistics standpoint for Alibaba. And it may not be worth getting to that 38 billion that needs to be delivered so quickly. But it's interesting, the price action today, the stock was down a couple uh, percent on some of the macro news regarding China, specifically in Hong Kong, and it made it up by the end of the day. I think investors like to see that. I'd still be playing for a breakout of that range that it's been in for the last five months or so.
4: 195 was the April high. I think that's obviously the next step. But the long-term levels at 211, we talked about when Bodwin was here last week. I mean, I think, you know, you, I think that's the trend. I mean, it obviously didn't trade particularly well as sort of a benign day for the stock. It's probably to be expected given the run we've seen. But the dance point, I think the trend is intact. 195 is absolutely, I think, in my opinion, your next stop.
2: Does this chart really tell the story of the Chinese consumer in your view?
5: I, I think it does, yeah. I think, uh-huh. you know, it's interesting. The Chinese stock market itself actually looks like pretty interesting. It looks like it wants to break out. So you look at, like, the Shanghai 300 or something like that. That looks pretty interesting. And if you're actually having a Chinese consumer that's doing quite well, the trade tariffs are potentially rolling off, then I actually think both BABA and the Shanghai could do quite well.
2: Right. Well, Singles Day, that record comes as major U.S. retailers gear up for the most wonderful mm. and important time of the year. Yes. 43 days, 6 hours, 42 minutes, 19 seconds till Christmas. And we have fresh data showing the U.S. consumer could put a big chill on the holiday cheer. A new Invest in You survey by CNBC and Acords finds that more than a third of Americans plan to spend less this holiday season than they did last year. So which retailers could feel the most pain if there is a holiday spending
7: pullback? Chairwoman, what do you think? I'm guessing the department stores, right, would just be a continuation of the trend that we've seen. I think that whatever Americans think they're going to spend during Christmas, they get it wrong every time. So they end up spending more or less? They always end up spending more, um, although they, uh, in past surveys, I think they've said they'll spend more, but they've been they're undershooting how much more. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, things really set up really nicely for the consumer. They are employed. The wages are going up, interest rates are down, the stock market is up, gas prices are low. I mean, it doesn't really get that much better for the consumer. So I, I think we'll see pretty good retail numbers from retailers who are who are doing it right. I'm, I'm, I, I mean, Macy's, I was just looking at it today, a 9.4% yield. Wow, that's kind of incredible. If you believe that's going to stay in place at under six times earnings or, I mean... If, then it's probably a buy. I don't own it, but that's interesting to me. I did go to the new Nordstroms uh-huh, in New yes. York. Super busy. Mm. I don't know anybody if anybody buying anything. I think so. There was a lot. I mean, it was a, the shoe department was really crowded. And I had to get some stuff for my husband. I, we discussed it was a crisis. <laughs> a fashion crisis. It's a long-standing thing. Yes, we're talking about the, the,
6: the, the ones that we know have problems, you know, I think Amazon's really interesting here. Amazon's massively underperformed the MAGA complex. We know what that is, Mel, right? It's the Microsoft, the Apple, and the Google, which all made new highs. Amazon's 13% from its 52-week highs. It never made a new high from 18. And when you look, look at that chart right there, look at that's the five-year chart. Look at that uptrend. That really feels to me that it really wants to Test that uptrend as opposed to those prior highs, which are about equidistant, about $275 in between. This thing can't get going. It's back to the comment about Alibaba. Why has Amazon stalled out here, one day shipping, the costs associated with it, and the logistics? And, and I just think this has become increasingly difficult as consumers expect to have the stuff yesterday and told to them what they want when they don't even know that they want it.
5: Yeah, I mean, Amazon stalled a bit because Bezos said he's not going to earn money he's going to be spending right now, right? So what's the reason why do you have to be in the stock? You know, I do think Macy's, though, is kind of an interesting trade. I know we talked about it last week, but it sets up for a potential surprise. 27% short interest on this stock with a 9% dividend yield. It wouldn't take much for it wouldn't take much good news to spark a nice short covering rally in it,
4: you know. We're, on the holiday time. We're in the holiday We're season now. We're in the holiday now, season, is season right now. Absolutely. I mean, it's my favorite time of year. Ho, ho, and sometime,
9: ho. And sometimes ho, ho. Toe. And you got to go to, like,
4: double. the butcher. At this time of year. Now, okay. bear with me a second. I'm going to tie this all together. I hope so. I don't do the finger roll, like get on we with it. We have a limited amount of time. But when you go and it's show. busy, you got to take a number. you got to take a number. Uh-huh. And it's number 65, I'm 82, and you got to wait. I, I get how Why the do I bring that up? Because at Nordstrom's, as Karen said, the, the women's shooter, people yeah. were taking numbers. That's how busy they were. What's my point? I've been saying this for a while. They report on November 21st. Big short interest. That stock's up 2% today on, again, a benign day. I think that stock continues to rally in earnings. Doesn't mean they're going to knock the cover off the ball. It means, I think, people are scared to be short named name like that. I think that name continues to I have to a much higher. bigger question. Bigger than the butcher? Yeah. Wow. How, do
2: you know, how do you know that in the women's yeah. shoe department, people mm. are taking numbers?
4: I just know, because you know what? I do the Peter Lynch thing. I go walking. What do you think I do to study for the show? I read, I walk, walk around, I do department. all these things. That's all. It's a question. Just
2: uh, for more uh, on all of this, go to CNBC. Not the number thing in the no. shoe department. <laughs> go to cnbccom slash invest in you, by the way. Invest in you. Ready, set, grow. is part of our partnership with saving and investing app Acorns. NBC Universal and Comcast Ventures are investors in Acorns. Don't go anywhere. We've got much more fast money straight ahead. Here's what's coming up next.
10: Markets
5: may be at record highs, but some bears are still roaring about the pain to come. Why, you might want to tread carefully as stocks keep climbing. Plus, Walgreens, one of the names helping the Dow avoid a down day, even as talk to ticket private heats up. We break down what would be an historic deal. All that and
0: more when Fast Money returns. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Jenny!
2: Welcome back to Fast Money. The Dow finishing the day at another all-time high. But don't pop the bubbly just yet because winter is coming. As you all know, bears usually hibernate during the colder months. But on Wall Street, this red-hot rally has some bears coming back to life. Our next two guests are worried the uh, record run could soon turn around and bite investors. Carter Worth has been clawing away at the technicals. But we begin with Joe Zidal, Blackstone's chief investment strategist. His S&P 500 year-end price target implies a 7% drop from current levels. Joe, welcome. Thanks for having me. Happy Veterans Day. You are a veteran yourself. So. I
1: served U.S. Army Reserves, uh, six by two enlistments, so six years of active reserves plus two years of IRR. So, uh, so thank you. And I take, uh, take, uh, you know, have an enormous amount of respect for everyone who, who puts on their uniform every day.
2: Absolutely. Thanks to all who have served our country. Um, let's, let's go behind this uh, 7% drop prediction. What's going to fuel this?
1: I think, you know, we've had a year where liquidity has absolutely overshadowed fundamentals. You know, we're up 23% year-to-date, and that's in the context of near zero earnings growth. In the first two quarters, there was no earnings growth. This quarter, earnings growth looks like it's going to be negative on a year-over-year basis, and the fourth quarter doesn't look much better either. And that's also in the context of profit margins that have begun to roll over and revenue growth that's, that's sort of slowed to a, a crawl. So all in all, we've got this environment where the market's gotten way over the tips of its skis. And I, I don't think this is the end of the bull market. I think we'll have time left in this rally before the expansion comes to an end. But I think there's going to be better entry points.
4: So Warren Buffett's got $122 billion sitting around. His main indicator, that Wilshire 5,000 over GDP It's like 146% in terms of Wilshire 5000 market cap over GDP. He's clearly seeing something. Does that factor in? And you mentioned earnings growth. I mean, this could be the slowest earnings growth, I
1: think, in four and a half, five years. I mean, at some point, it has to matter, right? I think so. And, you know, what the Fed has done, they've recreated this Goldilocks scenario, right? Not too hot, not too cold. They're not going to cut, but they're not going to hike. And if you think about all the liquidity that's been created by the Fed and other central banks around the world, it's gone into financial markets. It hasn't really gone into, you know, the real economy. If you look at the first three quarters of 2019, GDP growth in the United States is about $400 billion, yet we've added like $6 trillion to our market cap. So, you know, investors have pumped money into the stock market, into financial assets, but I think we need to take some time to let those fundamentals catch up. Uh, you know, typically the last leg of an economic cycle is, is you know generally going to be the, the, the best leg, you know, so maybe growth would actually accelerate from here. I don't really know. I'm not all that optimistic on, on growth, but I just think that at some point we either have to have this earnings growth catch up. It doesn't look to be the case, or we have to have prices fall, and I think it's going to be prices falling. You know, it might be a correction in the context of a still secular bull market. This is the longest bull market in history. We're not yet the largest. We have to go through 3,300 in order to be the largest bull market. My guess is we'll eventually hit it. I just think we're going to see some volatility, and we've got to pause.
7: So you talk about this where we are now in terms of pricing fundamentals versus last year. Interest rates were a lot higher this time last year, right? Significantly higher. So putting that into your model, though, that should have P.E. multiples be you know somewhat higher than they were last year
1: expanding right think about it. it's a tug-of-war between you know profits or some form of profits and and interest rates we started the year with a ten-year treasury at about two point four percent today we're back at about a one point nine one point nine five percent level and you know i think one of the unintended consequences of the feds goldilocks scenario is they have given you know, the 10-year Treasury sort of like a green light to, to move higher from here. In other words, I think we see a steepening of the yield curve. That should be good for cyclicals, but it also means the 1.5%, 1.6% that we saw in the 10-year Treasury, you know, I think those are the, the lows for this cycle. And I think the yield's going to go higher, and that could pressure valuation. We've got a market that's trading at 20 times, trailing 12-month earnings, and that's in the context of not a lot of earnings growth. So I think there will be winners. I think there are areas that, you know, we'll be able to step into and buy. But right now, the market's really concentrated. The top 10 largest companies, the S&P 500, are about 22, 23 percent of the market cap of the entire market. And, you know, your healthiest markets are the ones that are really wide in, in breadth. Uh, but this is one that's pretty narrow. And just quickly, you like small caps. I think small caps are probably one of the most under-owned parts of the market. Yeah. The Russell 2000 hasn't hit new highs the way all these other asset classes have. And I think if we do get this trough in earnings and if we do get this one last profit cycle before the uh, economic expansion ends, then you ought to see that reflation in small caps. Small caps are, less protect, are more protected from trade because they're more domestic and they're probably more exposed to, 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 to you know, the Fed interest rates at these levels. So I think overall, small caps could be that positive.
2: Joe, good to see you. Thank you. Joe's idle. Uh, Let's turn to the technicals now. The Chartmaster has not one, not two, but seven charts that show a pullback could be coming. Cornerstone Macros, Carter Worth is over at the Plaza with all seven of those charts. Carter.
10: Let's look. So uh, let's talk about what could be what we just heard a a pullback, a dip, a a sell off of some kind. Look at the sequencing. Uh, You can see it optically clear a series of higher lows and higher highs, but the sequencing calls for what would be a dip of some kind. So let's try to uh, figure it out together. Take a look at the annotations here. This is a, a powerful move, and then we actually broke trend here a bit. This was a powerful move, and we broke trend. This was a powerful move, and we broke trend, and we have just started to break below this line. Now, the percentages are quite similar in terms of the advances and the declines. Take a look at the next slide. So again a big move this is about an 8% sell off another big move an 8% this was a big move and a 5 6% what we might expect is something 4 to 5 or perhaps more we just heard that maybe 7 uh what Joe was looking for but the point is that the sequencing calls for not a higher here but some form of give back some uh, answer to this overbought circumstance so is it 4 is it 7 is it is it 10 um, or is it the beginning of something much worse? But either way, uh, betting for just higher and higher every day is uh, not the bet that I would want to make.
2: Do you also like small caps, Carter? What do you see in the chart well, the, for the, them?
10: The bet on small caps, of course, is a bet on financials, right? The weighting in the Russell 2000 is is almost double uh, in banks and financials as it is in the S&P. So to some extent, and other cyclicals, it's making a big bet that this move in interest rates uh, persists and that small and regional banks uh, do well.
2: Okay. Carter,
4: we're going to leave it there. Thank Thank you. Wait a second. He's not coming? No Carter worth?
7: Wow! Is it would, the butcher it, story? It Is that It's my fault. Right? I mean, that <laughs> whole number thing took so yeah. long. We don't I'm have sorry, time I'm for sorry, Carter.
5: Carter. Yeah, take a number, Carter. All right.
2: Um, <laughs> the bear case, BK. You've been known to put on a bear suit every once in a while. back. So
5: where are you now? So you know, I think I think a pullback would be very welcome here and not unusual. The one thing that concerns me about this run that we've had, you haven't seen it confirmed by the high yield bond index or the corporate bond index. Those haven't broken out to new highs which tells me perhaps the sentiment among investors isn't as enthusiastic as we want that being said you know i have been Pretty much 50 50, we could either break lower or break higher here. And since we've broken higher, I think you have to play the odds that we're going to have this blow off top. That blow off top can last six months, it can last nine months. Um, but so on a pullback, let's call it five or six, seven percent, I'd actually be looking for a place to buy.
6: Well, you know, if you look at 2019, those pullbacks that Carter detailed and the one that Joe is calling for have been great buying opportunities. Now, there's kind of different characteristics of each one. There's been a lot of rotation, right? So it hasn't been. By the same sectors to get back to the new highs. It has been staying the mega cap tech. Um, I'll just say this. If you're looking for a blow off top, the last time we had one of those was January 2018. I think from the tax cut in December of 17, we had this thing. It just went parabolic. And what happened is we had a very sharp decline after, and it took 10 months to get back to the new highs. So the only thing that I would worry about now, between now and the end of the year, is the higher we go without a pullback is the harder that we could fall in the first quarter of 2020. And that's just, uh, you know, it's just like what goes up must come down.
4: The IWM, the Russell, I mean, we talked about it over the summer. 145 had a hold. It did hold. Now it's had a nice rally. But 160, you go back, it's had trouble at 160 a couple times. April was sort of the big high. Carter mentioned that the all-time high, I think, was August of last year, 173. I'm hard-pressed to believe in this environment we go there. But 160 now becomes huge resistance the same way 145 became support. If we fail there, which I think we will, I think the S&P will follow as it has for the last couple of years.
2: How are you feeling about the markets after hearing this uh, bear case laid out?
7: I don't know. You know, I'm always long, so I have to be always long. I I was far more nervous a couple of weeks ago. I think that earnings turned out to be better. So I'm feeling I know the market's a little bit higher. Um, I always think time to buy protection.
2: Coming up, Google giving us another reason to worry about our private data. The latest on Project Nightingale and Big Tech's latest move into healthcare. Plus, why the options market is betting on a big breakout when this chip stock reports results. Of that name when fast money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of Walgreens topping the tape today and reports private equity from KKR has made an official takeover bid for the company. The stock saw a similar move last week when reports first surfaced that Walgreens was looking to go private. Since Walgreens has a market value of roughly $56 billion, a deal by KKR would be the biggest leveraged buyout in history. So how difficult could it be to get a deal of this size done? Karen, what do you say?
7: Well, I think it could be really difficult to get a deal of this size done. I mean, you know, credit markets are always changing. So it depends on how much equity they have when they go to go to market to do a deal like this we're so far away from there I'm pretty skeptical actually about a deal getting done here because it is so massive one of the things I read was uh, if they were taken private they'd be out of the public spotlighted they could run their business better That doesn't make sense to me because if you're more levered, it's harder to run your business better. Mm -hmm. Whether or not you're in the spotlight, it's just harder. You have to make more interest payments. So I don't really get that. The only downside is the stock has not exploded to the upside because of this story. It's only up three bucks, uh, right? So I guess it could happen. I'm sitting on the sidelines on this one. Even if it did happen, there'd be a lot of, you know, a lot would have to go right to get the deal done, to get to the finish line. Pass.
5: Yeah. So I think in this case, what do you do if you're long a stock? One, I don't think you buy it here for all the reasons that Karen said. And I'll tell you what, you never want to be on the other side of a Karen trade. So listen to what she says on that. But secondarily, let's say you're long and you wake up this morning, you have this great trade, you sell it. That's what you do here. Because I do think there's a lot more uncertainty in this than there is in a typical merger deal or a typical acquisition.
4: See, and I would push back and say the stock is actually around like 25% since the summer when it was hovering around 50 bucks. We talked about a double bottom, and the reason why I wanted CBW, that's Carter Braxton Worth, to come back is, if you recall, which I know you do because you have a steel trap mind, he mentioned WBA a couple weeks ago on one of those Carter Worth smart board hits and how it was poised to go higher. So I do think there's room. Valuation is reasonable. I don't know if this deal is going to happen, but in the meantime, I think the stock can continue to go higher from here. So
2: if the deal doesn't happen and you know that tomorrow, you still like the stock?
4: Well, if they were to come out and say, you know, if the headline is, ah, we're walking away, it's too rich. I mean, obviously, that's going to be somewhat deleterious to the shares. But subject to no headlines over the next week or so, I think this is a stock that continues to levitate, not gravitate. One last
7: thing. One last thing. Okay, the stock's up a lot. It wouldn't shock me if uh, people had... A sense of something like this pending prior to it being announced. Ooh. Mm
2: -hmm. So that run could have been a
7: leak. Could have been a leak. Mm -hmm. All right. You don't want those.
2: Switching gears to Google parent company (laughs) Alphabet coming under pressure today. This as the company faces fresh criticism over its handling of customers' medical data. Let's go to Josh Lipton in San Francisco for the latest. Hey, Josh.
9: So, Melissa, it's called Project Nightingale, Google's new initiative. According to the journal, companies collecting the personal health information of millions of Americans across 21 states, data like lab results, doctor diagnoses and hospitalization records, as well as patient names and dates of birth. Google's partner is Ascension, a leading nonprofit health system. Neither doctors nor patients have apparently been notified. Now, we reached out to Alphabet for comment. company directed us to Ascension, which put out its own statement about the partnership, saying it includes transitioning Ascension to the Google Cloud platform and Google's G Suite in exploring AI applications to improve patient safety. Ascension does emphasize its engagement with Google is in compliance with HIPAA, regulations that protect the privacy and security of certain health information. Google isn't alone in its move into healthcare. Of course, Amazon and Apple are pushing into the space, too. And for good reason, it is a huge opportunity with over $7 trillion in health spending per year. Now, beyond this Ascension partnership, Google also recently agreed to buy Fitbit valuing that company at about $2 billion. Google will not use health and wellness data from Fitbit for its ads. Still, some lawmakers in Washington questioned that acquisition, saying it deserved investigation. Melissa, back to you.
2: All right, Josh, thank you. Josh, lived in San Francisco. So I think the big question here is, is this headline going to draw more scrutiny, regulatory scrutiny for Google? Um, it's interesting the point that Josh made, though, that it is in compliance with HIPAA. <laughs> no, I am. I, I like I, that. I, I mean, no, but I mean, that's an important distinction. It is very
4: important. Because... But, you know, the off-camera we are talking, I mean, you, you don't, I mean, it's one thing to have UNH. It's one thing to have your doctor's office, have your medical. It's entirely something different to have Google, and God only knows what they're going to do with it. And they can say we're in compliance with HIPAA. It's just not a good look, in my opinion. I'm surprised the stock wasn't down more, given the run that that stock has had. And they can say valuation is compelling. It's a great company. I get all these things. But that, to me, is a pretty startling uh announcement It's a pretty startling headline, and the stock didn't trade in kind, in my opinion. I thought it should have
5: been down a lot more than it was. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, I think it is a problem for Google. In this day and age, where Google and Facebook are under the spotlight, everybody's saying, look what you're doing with our data, I do think it's certainly... Um let's put it tarnishes the google image now is it going to impact earnings over the next couple quarters i think ads still stay out there but the the problem is is uh, consumers are eventually gonna say we've had enough and that'll be a catalyst in my view for what everybody was calling web 3.0 which actually i think is the bigger threat to google
2: we're talking in the break right about whether or not it is a problem and i thought it was a problem you thought it wasn't a problem so why don't you think it's a problem
7: i think that sort of the price of privacy has gone down a lot Right. That we have so, so many times her, you know, Cambridge Analytica was huge. Um, GDPR ended up being right. The fix was ended Mm -hmm. up being really not so relevant to Google's earnings. And I just think that we're kind of used to our data being out there. And look at the stocks reaction to this today, even even as they are under the microscope. Mm -hmm. Right. This isn't a good look. But uh, I think the market just doesn't care. We're used to our data is out there.
2: Here's my question. If Google announced that it had some sort of a breach and we didn't know that they had health data and you didn't know that they had your health data until after the breach, wouldn't that be a problem? I mean, I, well, I, me, I just feel.
7: Let's say United Health announced they had a breach. Okay, of I, your but, health I under, data. but
2: I understand being a United Health customer that they need to have this data in order to reimburse me for my, uh-huh. for my whatever I, doctor's visits or whatnot. I, that's part of the deal. And Google
7: says we were I, looking to help Ascension with their. Yeah, and that doesn't water. help
2: me. Uh, well, I get nothing from okay. this partnership is my, you know, is my issue, is my pushback. With it's not a symbiotic
4: having, relationship. Exactly. I mean, they're taking it not, a bit, right. I mean, you I mean, know what you're doing. United Health.
2: mankind for them to have this information, to crunch it, big data, to study patient outcomes, etc., but I should be able to opt into that as opposed to find out after the fact that they have my data and lab results and everything else that they have.
6: Right. So, you know, listen, they have seven or so properties with over a billion users and they have really hit a wall as far as ad loads and such. Right. And so they have to do these sorts of deals and try to figure out how to monetize that data. And this has really been the issue, obviously, across this whole space with Facebook over the last couple of years. I'll just say this, that, you know, Guy just said this is a cheap stock. I think every headline like you mentioned, Melissa, it you have to layer on cost right and you're seeing that their earnings decelerated massively their earnings growth this year and expected to be high teens next year so if you're telling me that a high teens earnings and sales grower for Google trading 24 times forward is cheap fine but if they decelerate meaningfully and they have other headwinds to growth, then it becomes a very expensive stock very quickly. And all that money that people were really excited about this year, about them giving back to shareholders, has to go to other places. Then it becomes a less compelling story. And if you just look at the chart, it's 1300 to to 1000 over the last year. We got to 1300 We just broke back below on a bad piece of news. I don't know if you're buying the breakout here. I'm not.
8: All
2: right, coming up. One under-the-radar chip stock hitting a fresh 52-week high today. We'll tell you what the name is and why options traders are betting on big things when it reports earnings tomorrow. Stay with us. Fast Money. Be right back. Welcome back to Fast Money. One under-the-radar chip stock just broke out to new 52-week highs. It's already up 50% on the year. The options market says there could be even bigger gains in store when the name reports earnings tomorrow. Dan's over at the Plaza to break down the action. What are you seeing, Dan?
6: Yeah, so Mel, that would be in Skyward Solutions. That is a supplier to Apple, Uh, their smartphone business in particular. They get nearly half their sales to uh, Apple there. Um, Today, call volume was two times that of puts in front of that earnings event tomorrow. And the options market is implying about a 6%. Move in either direction, which interestingly is below the average. The stock has moved over the last four quarters, the day following their er uh, earnings, about Eight percent, and you may ask, well, why is that? This is a stock, like you said, that's up fifty percent. Why would the options market be implying a move that's less of the, how much it's been moved, um, been moving on average over the last year? Well, let's go to the charts and take a look at this because this is a this gap right here came last week. The stock gapped up about five percent on a competitor's um, Corvo on their earnings and guide, and uh, obviously investors liked it. And they extrapolated that to SkyWorks. The stock broke out to a new fifty-two week high, and it's kept on going. A little bit so that might have taken a little of the excitement um, out of what might be a beat and raise tomorrow um, when they report but let's go here's the six-year chart this has obviously been a very volatile stock and it's been a volatile stock this year but here we are we have this um, channel right here to the upside and i would suspect for a stock that doesn't have a lot of built-in earnings and sales growth right now trading at a market multiple that it's going to have to be a pr- pretty significant beat and raise to get that thing above that uptrend and going back towards the 52-week or the um, all-time highs made last year. So this is one where some of the call activity we saw today was in short-dated, near-the-money, out-of-the-money calls, small lots. This is traders playing for continued movement to the upside. That's probably how I would do it if I was playing for a beaten race, because we already have the expectation of a good quarter.
2: All right, thanks for that, Dan. For more options action, tune into the full show this Friday, five thirty P.M. Eastern time. And take a look at our Kramer cam. Jim is talking with the CEO of Norwegian Cruise Line. That full interview and much more coming up at the top of the hour on Mad Money. We are live at the Nasdaq market site in Times Square. Much more fast money still ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. Today, we pause to honor the sacrifice of millions of Americans who have served this country. And our next guest is leading the way when it comes to giving back. James Regan runs the Lead the Way charity. It's a group that helps raise money for disabled army rangers and the families of those who have been killed in the line of duty. Jim started Lead this Way after his son Jimmy was killed while serving in Afghanistan. And this weekend, the organization is holding its annual charity run where BK and Dan will be participating and have been past participants as well. Jim, it's always great to see you. Welcome Melissa, back. Well,
11: thank you for having me. I really appreciate it's, it. I think it's our 11th run. And your I've been 11th on, run. Yeah, 11th wow. Run. So How many
2: families have you helped in, in this amount of I time? I would
11: say Lead the Way Fund was stood up back in 07 when Jimmy was killed. So we're, over, we're probably close to about 60,000 over the 60, period of time. 60,000 yes. families Building helped. homes. And for your viewers, we're an active duty casualty assistance recovery and transition organization. So. We're in the fight right now with these guys, and uh, the Ranger Regiment has been in the, the principal element to defeat ISIS over the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. And uh, because of that, you know, this year we've had five guys killed, uh, two in training and three in, in active duty. And uh, we've had over 40 guys wounded, and a few of them very seriously wounded, wow. to the point where, we're very happy to say this, we'll be breaking ground on one of our new homes for our Rangers uh, in, right outside of Tampa on uh, December 3rd. God willing, right?
2: Wow. So we're good. How many people are, are enrolled to run this Oh, we have
11: we're going to have little over, we have a little over 550 right now, so I think with the walk-ins and everything, we'll probably be around 650. Mm-hmm.
2: How are you gonna, are, Have you been training? Be nice. I, are you ready
5: to yeah, go Yeah, I think here? I'm ready. I think I'm ready. It's a fantastic run. I mean, yeah. you run right down uh, the Hudson River, and it's, it's phenomenal. You have a bunch of Army Rangers there. It's a great cause, and you get a great shirt. Every time I wear that shirt outside of this, I always get a hoorah from somebody. So <laughs> it's always a great cause. So,
6: so I'll just tell you that I've been doing this now for five years, and I've gotten to know uh, Mr. Riggin here. And when I see all those people there, they're people from his hometown of Shabanad celebrating Jimmy uh, from Duke from the Rangers, and it's hundreds of people celebrating his legacy. Yeah, that's And that's cool. an amazing thing. And the stuff that you guys are doing and the stuff that we get to hear about from the people who are actually benefiting it and their families, uh, you're doing a great, great thing. Thank Jen, you. I amazing.
11: appreciate it. Love everyone to show up on Sunday. It'll start, registration would be 945 on Pier 45. And then uh, we'll start to kick off on the run, and then uh, that'll be about an hour. And then we'll head up to uh, Pier 60 uh, for the Lighthouse, and so we'll have a great celebration and during that period of time we're going to honor three veterans all right Mm -hmm. all three were killed in action the thomas family the rogers family and the raguso family and what's very interesting is uh is chris raguso was an fdny reservist and he was killed in uh yeah in i think it was bakaba iraq or right near it and uh... we're going to honor that family and we really would love to have more people there. It's, gonna, it's a great
2: time. A, a great day. Mr. Yeah. Regan, thank you so much for all that you do all year round for these families. And thank you for your sacrifice.
11: Thank you. Appreciate it, guys. We'll see you next year. Thank you. I appreciate
2: <laughs> that. Up next, Final Trades. Final Trade, Dan.
6: Yeah, shout out to my dad, my favorite
5: vet, and I'm a seller of Amazon. Peace. I'm a buyer of Allstate.
2: Karen. Yes, buyer of American Airlines. Gee. CBS, Melms. Happy Veterans Day. Mad Money is up next.